You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. Um, normally I kind of try to start with something of a Something light-hearted, a joke maybe, something to kind of settle while there's a bit of shuffling noise um, going on. But I'm just going to dive straight in today, uh, and you'll see why in a, in a moment. If you've been with us uh, for the last few months, you, you'll know that we're taking like a slow stroll through the letter to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians. Uh, and without any foreknowledge on my part at all, although I would say that God had foreknowledge, The events of the last couple of weeks, some of which Margaret mentioned today, some of which we've been praying for this morning, I had no idea this is where we'd be when we got to this point in the text in Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And honestly, I've really wrestled this week as to whether I should bring this message today or just go a different route because it's a weighty subject it's an emotive subject it's an evocative subject and I want to treat it this morning with great sensitivity and kind of take my time not rush because it's likely that there's not one of us in this room right now that is unaffected by death It's likely that there are none of us who haven't felt that pang of loss, that that crushing pain of separation and the tendrils of grief. I know in this room we've lost mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, children, friends, aunts and uncles, And it's particularly fresh and raw for some of us this past week and then these past few months as well. Hearing the heartbreaking news from Ukraine, and I I couldn't believe as I watched one uh, BBC report the other day, and I was not prepared to see what I saw. And I, I used to be working in the funeral industry when I was younger. I have seen a lot, and I've never seen in a BBC report a body on a road. And that's what I saw this week. Standing churches, we supported Pam in committing her mother to God this week. And then at the funeral on Friday of a girl, some of you would have known, and we, we didn't announce it because the, the details were so confused and mixed. We, we, we turned up at this funeral without 100% certainty that it was actually her funeral. Uh, and as it turns out, it was. And her life tw- in her mid-twenties tragically cut short. Uh, and this is the reality that we live in and with. And as believers, what should we do with that? I mean, should we be stoic Should we put on a a brave face? I I remember my mum as 
uh, her third husband had died. Uh, And as I was walking out of the church, I was carrying his coffin on my shoulder with the other funeral directors. And and I loved this guy, and I was finding it hard as I was walking down there, and I I caught my mum's eye, and my mum was just stoic. Because it was always the stiff upper lip. It was always the, don't show your emotion. I mean, is that what we should do as believers? Because, you know, we should just put a smiley face on everything, right? But that's not actually true. I mean, does, does trusting in God mean we don't feel the pain? Do we lack faith or maturity if grief inflicts itself on us? Well, of course we don't. Listen, Jesus wept. It's, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's two words long. Jesus wept. And yet Jesus knew that he was about to walk up to the tomb and call Lazarus back out. He knew exactly what was coming. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And yet he wept. He had grief. He had compassion. His compassion was for Lazarus's sisters and friends and everyone who was around He was moved by compassion for their grief. And let me tell you, in this church, in this place this morning, he is moved by compassion for our grief also. You know, I don't believe that one single tear that has been sourced in your heart and emanated from your eyes has not been met by a thousand tears from his eyes from your saviour, moved by compassion for you. He, he not only acknowledges our grief, he joins us in it. What a saviour. But he also offers us the hope of resurrection. So I am going to preach this word today. Because God's word is always relevant. Uh, and I intend to speak with care and sensitivity But I don't want to preach it from heaviness and doom and gloom, but from victory, because that is what Jesus has done. That is what the cross and the resurrection is. It is our victory, church. The sting has been removed. So as we get into these words today, Paul saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Remember, he preceded that statement by saying, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Come what may, it's all about Jesus. And he goes on to say, if I am to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And I'm going to pause there today instead of going into the next bit. Last time we talked about to live is Christ. To live is Christ and what that looks like. And living for Jesus is difficult, right? If you've been a Christian for a few years, you know that it's not all easy and roses and stuff like that, that this is hard. Christianity isn't a crutch to lean on because we're weak people. In fact, God raises strength within us so that we can live the Christian life, so that we can live in obedience to the Son. Living for Jesus is difficult. 
Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about that because we struggle with inconsistency. We are, as the hymn says, prone to wonder. How am I to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, to live this discipleship life? Well, we're going to deal with that in part tonight with our panel on Sofa Sunday, uh, and that's Ian, Ashley, and Tracy are going to be talking about this very thing. How? How do we live this consistently? How do we do this? How is it possible? But today we're going to deal with why Paul is keen to depart and be with Christ. He considers death to be gain. That sounds a little bit loopy to us, surely. But he considers death to be gain. And remember, this isn't him resigning himself to it like, oh well, I've had a good innings, things have gone bad, I just can't wait to get out of this. I'm feeling a bit depressed. The quicker this can all be over with, the better. I mean, there are days, and I'm sure you've had it too, where I wake up and I'm just like, Lord, if you came and took me now, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> like, there are days where things weigh heavy on your heart. And Paul wasn't there. Listen, I want to say this sensitively. Paul was not suicidal. He, he was not here going, oh, just kill me now, like Elijah was. But Paul also, there's no sense of depression in what he's saying, but also he wasn't superhuman. He experienced grief and stress and angst, and he talks about it quite openly. So he's saying something different here than just, I've had enough, take me now. He's saying this will be better. And it's because he considers all things to be about Jesus and for Jesus in his life. Uh, Look at what he says in Romans 14. He says, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Believer, you belong to the Lord in life. You will belong to him in death. What an assurance. Uh, Listen to what Paul says in another letter to another church. To, To the Thessalonians, he says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So what he's saying is, we grieve, but not in the same way as those who don't have hope. You know, neither in Thessalonians or Romans or Philippians or anywhere else was Paul being uncompassionate or callous or blasé about life and death or about those who are, as he words it, asleep in Christ. Later in Philippians 2, we'll get to it, but Paul mentions uh, Epaphroditus, who was ill. And Paul says he nearly died. But then he goes on to say that God had mercy on him and in doing so spared Paul sorrow upon sorrow. So while Paul's saying we don't grieve as those who have no hope, clearly he would have been grieved. He would have had sorrow upon sorrow which God spared him if his friend Epaphroditus had died. Jesus and Paul are acquainted with our grief. He doesn't say don't grieve. But we don't grieve in the same way. Mm -hmm. We can grieve. We do grieve. 
We should grieve, but it's not the same because we have hope. If you don't know what I'm talking about with this hope, come and see me afterwards because I'd love to introduce you to it. What Paul is saying is, as believers, listen carefully, we may feel it, but we don't fear it. We may feel it, but we don't fear it. And this is completely countercultural. Think about the world and the enemy, Satan. They tell us that death is the ultimate failure. We even talk about heart failure, organ failure, whatever failure. We talk about death in terms of failure, but as a Christian, it's a victory. We, we try at all costs to avoid the inevitable. To try defying age, fighting illness. Even talking about it isn't really done. It's a bit of a taboo subject, or it's uncomfortable because it has become our enemy. Life, we're told, should be lived for the, uh, to the full, enjoyed. But listen, it won't ever be satisfying because nothing lasts, and ultimately, all of us will die and stand before God. Ultimately, everything that we have in our pocket, in our account, and in our houses right now, we will lose it all. Do you have something to take you further than what you have in your account? But as believers, life can be lived fully and abundantly because we know that death is just a transition from one form of life to a fuller one. This bag of bones that is failing already is going to be replaced. <laughs> I'm getting a new model at some point. <laughs> Are you laughing because you're like, yeah, come on, Jess is loving this. She's like, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. I, we don't look forward to dying. That's weird, right? We don't look forward to dying. But though we often do, there's no reason for a follower of Jesus Christ to fear it because it's filled with hope. We, we embrace its reality and we, we live outside of its shadow. Instead, we live in the light of life and life to the full. In fact, without its sting, death becomes our crown, our joy, our win, or as Paul puts it, our gain. And so here's why it's gain. Get ready, we're going to dig into this. Four brief points why, why death is gain, why to die is gain for a believer. Number one, and I'll, I'll list them and then I'll go through them briefly. Number one, sin finally dealt with and the spirit perfected. Mm. Number two, suffering and pain left behind us for good. Number three, we will enjoy unparalleled rest and peace. And number four, we'll finally and fully be home. Amen. You know, there's so much to be said on this subject that I can't possibly get into today. 
Some of you might be thinking, is he going to mention hell? Is he going to mention heaven? Is he going to mention the new Jerusalem? Is he going to mention the new earth? Like, I'm just going to stick with why in these four brief points, just today, why to die is gain for the believer. Okay, so sin finally dealt with and the spirit perfected. Remember back at the beginning of this letter, Paul said that he's convinced that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion? This is that completion. This is what he's pointing at. Like the work's in progress now. On that day, that's your completion. And so he is faithful. He is carrying on now and he will complete. It's that sanctifying work. You know, there is a war. And already just saying that word, and we've got images and thoughts in our minds straight away. I want to tell you of a war which you are all familiar with, and it is the war inside here. The war between the flesh and the spirit. You all wrestle with this. I would even hazard a guess that even if, even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about here. You, you've got a conscience. You know when you've done something that you think is awful and you regret it. You, you know how you beat yourself up for things that you've, you've done in the past or you carry regrets and shame and, and whatnot and guilt. And before I knew Jesus, before I met with Jesus Christ, that guilt and that shame was consuming me. That war was being lost by the spirit and won by the flesh every day that flesh had breath. I know you feel it. I I feel it and Paul felt it. In Romans 7 he says, although, this is Paul the apostle who we pedestal quite often, he says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I delight in God's law but I see another law at work in me, waging war, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am, he says. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He answers his question, thanks be to God, he who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, if you are losing that war, between the spirit and the flesh, you can be victorious through Jesus Christ. Delivered from entrapment and slavery to sin. Finally, evacuated from the siege of our souls through Christ. And this is how, because God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus shifts that war so that he becomes sin on our account and so that we might become, through him, the righteousness of God. The writer of Hebrews mentions the spirits of the righteous made perfect The multitude of ways that I wind myself up, guys. The multitude of ways that I carry regret or guilt or shame. The the crazy capacity I have to hurt people or disappoint people or, or, or break promises or break other people through carelessness and through selfishness. The amount of ways I can do that. Sin casts a long shadow 
in our lives. Now imagine, because this is where Paul said this is gain, imagine that sense of guilt, that sense of shame, and even the enemy's ability to prod it and poke it and remind you of it, gone forever. Never another morning to wake up with regret or shame or guilt or disappointment. Never again. And with it, number two, suffering and pain will be left behind for good. How much suffering can one soul bear? How much heartache and heartbreak? You know, there are people in this room who've had the most horrific of childhoods, where where as an innocent child, you, you were abused, you were beaten, lies were spoken over you, you were pushed down. How much can we take? And even as we walk as adults and worry about what people might think of us or, or have the impact of people that dislike us or come against us in some way, and then we look at what's happening just like a few hundred miles to the east of us. How much devastation and war, how much suffering, how much abuse, how much cruelty, how much sickness, how much injury can one heart take? But listen, all will cease. To die is gain. All will cease. Everything, I'm not trying to bring this down because this is the reality of the the world that we live in, right? You know, I could talk to you of my childhood and, and some of you would think, that's horrific, but I will look at another person's childhood and go, whoa, that was horrific. But it's all going to be washed away. It says in Revelation that he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We're living right now in the old order of things, Mm -hmm. but there's a new order coming. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. I am making all things new, Jesus says. 1 Corinthians 15 says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. And that will lead us to, church, unparalleled rest and peace. My my first placement as a 16-year-old, I went to a hotel to work in the kitchens, not even as a commie chef, which is like the lowest run of the ladder, but an apprentice, like below that. And it was this kind of place where it made Marco Pierre White and Gordon Ramsay look like pussycats. Like, look like the kind of people that you want as your best mate and, like, you take to meet your gran or whatever. Like, honestly, this guy made life, and I'm talking from my experience there, like hell to us. And and I had to be there for six weeks. I stuck it out for six weeks, but it was one of the hardest things that I ever did. And then when I left there, do you know, as I was on the train going away from that hotel, and I knew I'd done it and I'd finished, the sense of rest that came over me in that moment was incredible. The the sense of relief, the sense of victory. I've done it. I stayed. But you know, peace isn't just about something after a tough season. It's better 
and it's fuller and it is more in every way. The kind of peace that we're talking about here. Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Because every ounce of peace that the world gives that we get here is not really peace at all. In fact, people are saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And yet when Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace, he's talking about something utterly different. His peace, here and now, which passes understanding, is just a foretaste of the kind of rest, the kind of peace that we will have when we walk across to him. You know, we often hear about being asleep in Christ. That's what Paul kind of talks about death in those terms, to be asleep in Christ, rest. I've already read 1 Thessalonians where he talks about those who have fallen asleep and why we, 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 shouldn't, we don't grieve Sorry, in, in the same way. In Corinthians, he, he talks about the fact that some have already fallen asleep. When Stephen is martyred and that he's been stoned to death and just before he, he dies, he, he kind of sees the vision of Jesus and then he prays that God will forgive these people even as they're hurling rocks at his head. And then it says, and then he fell asleep. And Jesus said that Lazarus has fallen asleep. In Luke 23, you'll know this story. Jesus is on the cross. And there's a thief on the right and a thief on the left. And he says to the one that repents and turns to him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And you know the Jewish thought at the time, this is N.T. Wright noting this, but he says that the Jewish thought at the time, paradise wasn't considered to be the final destination but it was a blissful place of rest where the dead would wait until the day of resurrection. Either way, the rest and the peace that comes is unparalleled. What we will experience when we are in Jesus' presence, when we go to be with Jesus, when we are asleep in Christ, the rest and the peace, unfathomable. And then listen, we'll be finally home. How many of you have longed for home at some point during your life? You just want to go home. You just like, I, I was like that. If I had a rough day at Bible college or whatever, I'd just want to head down the roads, down the A35 at the time, get to my mum's house. Which is weird because of the childhood I had, but I always, I never lost that longing for home. But, but you see, the thing is, all of our longings for home are never fully satisfied here. It doesn't matter how great a family life you've got or you've had. Like, it doesn't take long before you get itchy feet. Like, you're longing for something else. It, it's, the same is true when you get new technology, by the way. If you get a new mobile phone and it feels like the best thing ever, and you're like, wow, I never need another phone in all my life. And then in a year's time, I, Apple will bring out the next iPhone, and you're like, oh, I've got to have that iPhone as well, because it will never be satisfied. We'll always want more. And the same is true with the way that we long for home, because it's never going to fully satisfy our longings and our cravings. Home may be where the heart is, but ultimately, all of our homes are, are temporary, and at some point, it's no longer possible 
to go home. Whether that's by death, divorce, tragedy, home on earth is fragile and ultimately disappointing because we're longing for something greater. Ecclesiastes says he has put eternity into our hearts. We all have a sense that there is more. And even if that more we are trying to find in science, we know that there's more that we don't understand going on around us. And that is because God has placed something bigger in our hearts, an awareness. We can't touch it, we can't see it, we can't feel it, but we know there's something more. For we know that if this earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. There's 2 Corinthians 5. It's built by God for us to be with Jesus. We're confident, I say, and I prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, Paul says. I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know, there's a place for us, and I'm not going to break out into a West Side Story song right here and right now, okay? There is a place for us. You are all invited. Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. But, but you see, you have to accept Jesus' offer. You have to accept the home that the Father is building in heaven for you. But there is a place for us. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled because of this. There is a place. And that's why Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, I'm getting to my last few minutes here. I want to ask you a question. Christian, I want to ask you a question, okay? Ask yourself this. Would I still want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Would you still want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? If you could have the perfect existence in the future, but Jesus wasn't part of it, would you still want it? It's a tough question to ask. Listen, what I used to call home lost its appeal since mum died. Like, Honiton, the town where she lived, it's nostalgic to me, but I don't see it as home. And the house that she used to live in is someone else's home now. It's nothing to me. I might drive past it. I might even ask one day, can I just come in and reminisce a little bit? But that is no longer my home because my mum isn't there. Home without that person being there isn't home at all. Heaven isn't home without Jesus being a part of it. Home isn't just a place of belonging. Sorry, it is a place of belonging. Home isn't just a place. It is a belonging. It is a belonging. That's what gives the, the home that you're thinking of meaning. Not because of the bricks and mortar, but because of the blood and flesh. Right? So I'm going to start wrapping this up because believer, God's made a promise to us so that we can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
so that we can approach death without fear because we have certain and sure victory. Death has lost its sting. We're still going to go through it like a curtain. Like I could just walk through that curtain right now. Uh, And that, in a way, is like what death is going to be. But there's one who's been through that curtain before and has prepared a place. And so when I go through that curtain, it's not into blackness or blackness. (laughs) 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 That's not in my notes. I'm sorry about that. I do apologize. Look, he is faithful. He will do it again. But absolutely critical is the phrase in him. When Paul talks about those who have fallen asleep in him, it is absolutely critical. Listen, a a promise has to be activated. It has to be activated. There's a promise on the table for you all right now. If Ron was to promise me a thousand pounds, Leslie would have something to say about that. If Ron was to promise me a thousand pounds, I wouldn't benefit from that unless I was to receive it, to accept it from him. To activate that promise, I have to take part in that promise. I have to collect on it. Have you ever watched Inheritance Hunters? Like morning, bit of morning telly. The amount of people that go and there's an inheritance there that nobody claims because it has to be activated. And Jesus has made a promise. And his, his word says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. And Margaret mentioned this last week. In fact, we go back to this a lot, because that's a great promise. God loves you so much that he has made a way. So if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who he has given for you, you won't perish. You will have eternal life with everything that I've described this morning. But you need to activate that. And, and the active is to believe upon Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Though they may die, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says. So the promise, listen, this is hard. The promise is for a believer because a believer has activated the promise through belief, through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not if you do not have active faith in Jesus Christ, that promise, you can still take part in it, but it is not yours right now. You can make it yours today by putting your trust into Jesus Christ. But it's not a wholesale sweeping done deal for all of mankind. Yeah, I want to tell you this. Jesus' sacrificial death and his power-exerting resurrection on the cross is sufficient for everybody in this world who has ever lived. But it is not necessarily efficient for every person because it has to be received. Not everyone will benefit from these wonderful truths and promises that I've been talking about today. And those who are finally unrepentant, and in other words... That means they didn't turn to Jesus for rescue, will be lost forever, separated 
from the presence of God forever. Outside of this promise, where Jesus himself describes this as being a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound good. Where he talks about unquenchable pain and anguish. If that makes you uncomfortable, it's entirely avoidable by turning to him now. By believing in and trusting upon Jesus Christ. I'm just going to close with this, and Ian, if you come up. I just want to read a bit of Psalm 73 to you, verses 23 to 28. The psalmist says this, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. Do you hear that? Afterward you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. Can we stand together? This may be uncomfortable, but this is what the Bible talks about. We are saved by our belief in, our trust in Jesus Christ. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible tells us we will be saved. Are you saved this morning? Have you activated that rescue and that promise in your life? Praise him for it if you have. I mean it, give thanks for him. Uh, to him and for him now if you have if you haven't please come see me if, if you want to see if we can activate that promise then come and see me Heavenly Father we just pray that now by your spirit in this room working in our hearts bringing conviction and speaking truth and comfort God I know that this word to, to some of us would have been the fragrance of life and to others may have been like the stench of death Lord, I pray that you would make that life fragrance permeate in this room now. That, that those who are currently seeing this as something bad and negative will hear a word from your heart for them and turn to you and be saved. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.